Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Let me tell you a story that uh, happened three years ago in Belgium. A great controversy arose. And the controversy arose because Burger King decided they were going to show up in Belgium and open their restaurant. And they put an ad campaign out that had a selection uh, in cartoon character saying, who's the, who's the king? And they had King Philip, who was the real king in a cartoon figure, and then they had the Burger King. And they said, make your vote. And then the ad campaign went on to say, there's only one crown. Who will be the king? Well, King Philip found out about this, and the whole royal family uh, was quite upset. And one of the things that was agreed upon in Belgium was that Burger King and the royal family, they both felt there can only be one king. This morning in our passage, we're going to come to realize that there is only one God. There is only one true king. The Lord, he is God. As Cynthia just read for us. The Lord, he is God. And we are called to worship him and worship him alone. And the beautiful thing about this passage is we're going to see God's amazing grace on Mount Carmel using Elijah to draw his people back unto himself that they would give Worship again to the Lord God Almighty and worship to Him alone. Let's pray for that this morning, that we would come to our Lord. Father, thank You for this passage. Thank You for Your Scriptures and this amazing event, this amazing miracle where You showed up in power. And Father, as we come to this morning, uh, we ask that You would draw us close unto Yourself. Draw our hearts back to you if we are far away. Help us to maybe see you for the first time if we have not known you. But Father, we come as a people who desire to worship you and you alone. Would all glory be unto you this morning. To you, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. Well, the setting of this chapter is that It's an incredible drought that's going on. And Elijah is approached by the Lord. And the Lord says, listen, Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab. And I want you to tell him that I am going to bring rain after three years of this heavy drought and this famine in the land. It's really a difficult time for the people. It's this day in and day out, just dreary living. It's hard to have hope. It's much like what we're experiencing today. It's just like, when will this ever end? How long, O Lord, are we going to go through this? This was the season for the people in Israel. A severe famine. And we come as we enter into the chapter and we meet this character, Obadiah. Obadiah, I don't believe, is is the, the one who wrote the Minor Prophets Obadiah, the book. Obadiah is just a servant of Ahab, and his name, Obadiah, means worshiper of the Lord or servant of the Lord. And as we come and encounter Obadiah, Obadiah is out trying to find some sort of water and grass for Ahab. He wants wants his cattle to be fed. He's more concerned about his 
cattle and horses than he is about the people. And on the way, Elijah shows up. He says, Obadiah, servant of the Lord, I want you to go tell Ahab that I am here and that I'm going to speak with him. Obadiah goes, wait a second. Are you out of your mind? You're on the most wanted list, Elijah. You send me to go to Ahab, and I tell him you're going to show up. You've been gone for the last three years. If you don't show up, it's off with my head. And Elijah says, Obadiah, I want you to go and tell Ahab that Elijah, which means Yahweh is God. Go tell him that Yahweh is God is here, and I promise you, I will show up. So Obadiah goes faithfully and serves the Lord and responds to the the asking of Elijah. And as he shows up, he goes before Ahab and he's fearful and he's struggling with this. You know, some people have said, Uh, that Obadiah really was one who was wavering back and forth between Baal and and Yahweh, that he was one who who, uh, uh, just lived in fear, that he was really living in the community like the community was. Uh, I I don't believe that. I think the more you look at the Scripture, and the Scriptures really bring out in this passage, and it says of Obadiah and his character, he was a man who served the Lord. He was faithful unto that. And I think, what an incredible man who took this amazing risk to bring this message that Yahweh is God has arrived. And He's going to speak to you about what's going on in the land. I think He's a wonderful servant of the Lord. He serves under an evil king, right? Ahab is listed as the most evil king that ever was. There was none before or after that were so evil as Ahab. He serves under an evil king. And he's in this position of influence. He is is the palace keeper. He's the chief of staff. He has an amazing role in that place. What's the truth about us? A lot of times, for you and me, we serve under what would be considered maybe an evil king. A boss who's really just corrupt. A boss who has nothing to do with anything that's godly or righteous. Maybe you serve under an evil king, and it's hard. But I want you to know, God has you there in that particular place to use your influence for his kingdom, even though you serve under this evil king. And I think we're called to to live in that place of influence. Here's what Colossians 3 says about this situation. Colossians 3 says, Slaves basically workers, obey your earthly masters in everything. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. You cannot forget that. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. You're not serving Ahab. You're not serving your boss. You're in that position to bring forth righteousness and truth and godliness right where you're at. Obviously, 
if your boss is going to ask you to live something out that's contrary to the law of God, then we don't respond to that. But if he's just a difficult boss, an evil king, then serve well. Serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. Actually love that boss of yours. Pray for that boss of yours. Pray for the environment that you're in, that God would change it for his purposes. Obadiah is doing that. He's living under this evil king, and we can learn that because the Lord is Lord, we can serve faithfully in that. I'm not serving human masters. The other lesson that I see in this chapter from Obadiah and some things that we can learn from this is this whole section with Obadiah, it's, it's the previous chapter that Josh taught us. Do you remember the incredible miracles? Elijah's out on the way and he's, he's hungry and the Lord feeds him with ravens, provides for miracle. Then he ends up with this widow and the widow is hungry and doesn't have food and oil. And Elijah shows up and says, listen, God is going to take care of you. You're never going to run out of oil and flour. God will provide for you. And that's what he does. Miracle. And then the widow's son dies. And what's this amazing miracle? Elijah raises through the power of God, raises the dead son into new life. Wow. These are miracles. And they're powerful. And then like Cynthia read, we're going to see fire is going to come down from heaven and consume the offering. And it's going to lick up the water and the stones and everything is going to be burned and consumed by the Lord God. That's one of the most amazing miracles in all of Scripture that we see. And then right in the middle of all of that, sandwiched in between that, is the story of Obadiah. Wah, wah. I mean, it's really kind of boring compared to everything else that's going on, isn't it? When we think of chapter 18 and, and we think of Elijah, we never think about the story of Obadiah. What we think about is all this great work and these incredible miracles that are going on. But the truth is, we're going to see the miracle, the continued miracle of God providing for his people in amazing ways and ways often that are behind the scenes. He provides for his people, these prophets that are in the caves. I think sometimes what happens is, is we miss the miracles. Here's the miracles that are subtle. Obadiah is over the palace. He's chief of the palace. How do you get that job? That's a miracle. That's beautiful behind the scenes, but God raised him up for that position. In his role, he hides a hundred prophets, 50 in each cave. How did he do that? How did he not get caught? How was he able to, to bring food daily and water in the middle of a drought and famine? How was he able to do that? Miracle of God. Miracle of God. We're missing the miracles. We often long and clamor for the incredible miracles of the Lord like fire from heaven. And we want to see that. And we miss all that God is doing behind the scenes. You know those prophets knew as food and water was coming daily. Wow. 
What a miracle from God. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us food and water, this miracle. Jezebel's killing all the prophets, and you've provided for us, and praising God for that. Can you imagine in the caves, singing out praise to God, the acoustics in the caves, giving glory and song to the Lord for providing for them and the miracles. Oh, that we would be a thankful people unto God for these miracles that he's doing daily, really, in our lives and providing for us in ways that aren't the big flash, but behind the scenes, here's some food and water that you need. I want you, for those of you at home and your home groups today and even as you leave this place and and meet with your growth groups, I want you to take some time talking about ways that God has provided for you, these miracles kind of behind the scenes and how he has showed up into your life. And I want you together as a group to give praise and thanks to God for that. Do that this week, would you? God shows up in wonderful ways. The thing is, as I read the scriptures, it seems to me most often that God provides miracles through simple Ordinary means. God provides miracles through simple, ordinary means, and He's glorified through that. That simple servants of the Lord are used by the Lord to bring forth His provision. And I think the question we should ask is, does God want to use me like He used Obadiah to, in essence, provide a miracle of His, uh, bring forth His provision behind the scenes, that really meets a need. That the people were wondering, how in the world is the Lord going to meet the need here? Trust me, He wants to use you in the middle of that. Occasionally, He will do the big flash. The big fire. Most of the time, simple obedience, simple measures of provision, and they're miracles. And what a comfort to know the prophets must have been going, thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. Thank you, Lord, for meeting our need. All glory to you. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And we worship Him alone. Amen to that. Then we come into the next scene. The battle's being set up. It's going to be the thriller in Manila. It's going to be that great bout, the boxing match that's going to go on. And as we enter into this scene... The question that's coming about is, who's causing all this trouble in Israel? What is going on here? Why is there so much trouble? God calls Elijah to speak, to come forth and speak his truth. And as God calls Elijah, Elijah doesn't sit there and go, well, Lord, how's this really going to work? Well, yeah, I mean, okay, I guess I'll go before Ahab, but how far do I have to go? What do I have to do in this process? No, what happens? Lord says, Elijah, I want you to go before Ahab. You let him know. I'm going to be the God who keeps my promise. I'm going to bring rain. I've been bringing my judgment. I want to call my people back unto myself. I'm going to show up. You go tell them. Elijah's response to that is he goes. Why does he go so quickly? I think if it was me, I'd be like, eh, not sure if I want to do that one. 
because I, I'm on the top 10 most wanted list. And I think I'm number one, actually. No, he goes. Why? Because he has full confidence in the Lord. James 5 reminds us that he was a man of prayer. He was always praying unto the Lord. He was always seeking after the Lord. He spent his life devoted to prayer in the Lord. And you know what else it says in James 5? It says, you and I are just like Elijah. He was a man just like us. So our prayer lives, God wants to hear from us. And God wants to respond to us. His will be done, right? Your kingdom come. My prayer is your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. Elijah was a man of prayer, but he was a troublemaker according to Ahab. He's coming before and he's speaking to Ahab and he's speaking to the people that God is alive. Yahweh is God. That's even my name. He's alive. And he's speaking it to a generation that believes that God is dead. Dear saints, God is calling you and me to go forth and proclaim that God is alive. And we can have hope, and we can have salvation, and we can have life in Him and Him alone. Proclaim it. The whole world around us thinks God is dead. Where is He in the middle of all of this? No, God is very much alive. And Elijah brings it forth, and it causes trouble. So much of the peaceful work of Christ is such a threat to the fortress of evil because it's it's a reversal of the way that the world is going. It's a reversal of what they want to be accomplishing. You can imagine Ahab saying, hey, Elijah, don't tell me how to do life. Don't tell me about where I'm disobedient to God. And because it doesn't feel good to him, what's he doing? We need to kill Elijah. You're a troublemaker. There's always a disturbance. The Christians were blamed for the fire in Rome by Nero when he started it himself. So they wiped out the Christians. The Christians, they aren't worshiping Caesar as Lord. Let's wipe them out. You know, when Martin Luther was teaching justification by faith, by grace alone and faith alone, the Pope called him a virus. How dare you speak such things? It's always causing trouble. And the world and those in Israel thought Jesus was the biggest troublemaker of all. Let's get rid of him and put him on the cross. We shouldn't be surprised as followers of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be surprised when the world attacks us for following Jesus and proclaiming his truth. Do not be surprised. It's happened all throughout history. All the studies right now in those who are boldly proclaiming to Christ is thousands upon thousands every year are dying for their proclamation of Jesus Christ. But you know the other side of that? Every year, thousands and thousands are coming into new life and new relationship with Jesus Christ. Proclaim his name because he is Lord and he is Lord only. He is God. And that's what he does. He changes hearts. Whenever we do that, we are troublemakers. And Jesus said, if the world hates you, John 15, 
Keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, guess what? They're going to persecute you. That's going to be in your workplace, in your community. Some of you, maybe even to the point of death. Let's be troublemakers who are bringing forth the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Who's causing all this trouble? Elijah responds. It's so funny. The scene is kind of like Elijah responds to Ahab saying, you're the troublemaker. You're the one bringing the curse upon the people. Elijah said, no, 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 it's you. It's, it's like two brothers fighting and mom shows up, right? Hey, who's stirring everything up? Oh, it's his fault. Now Elijah said, no, 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 excuse me. It's you and your father's before you. And you've committed sins. You've committed the sin of omission and the sin of commission. You, you haven't done some things and then you've sinned outright. The sin of omission is that you're not following the Lord and his commands. You've stopped following his ways. The sin of commission, the sin that you've actually done, is that you're now worshiping the Baals. You're worshiping that which is false idols, and you're following their ways. That's your sin, Ahab, and it's God is bringing that before you. Now you would hope that Ahab would respond, here is the man of God bringing forth. Ahab, God is coming to to bring his people back unto himself. Repent! Does Ahab repent? Absolutely not. He almost gets harder against Elijah and God. He doesn't repent like like David did in 1 Samuel 24, where an angel of the Lord was going and killing his people. And David cries out in Samuel 24. He says, oh God, it's, it's my sin. I have sinned against you. Don't place that upon the people. They are sheep. I'm the leader. Place it upon me and my family. And he repents before God, humbles himself before God. Ahab doesn't do anything near that. And that's what God was desiring. I want my people to repent and come back to me. Here's my grace. The consequence of your sin should be death, but here's my grace. And he confronts him. He confronts him because the Lord, he is God. He's the true king, and he's the only one who actually can forgive you. And so he confronts the people. Let me ask this for you and for me. Will you receive the gentle rebuke, correction from a friend who loves you, who points out maybe some ways where you have stopped following the ways of the Lord, and maybe you're just getting stuck in following idols, whatever that is, your work, your power, just wanting your own life, will you receive that correction? And allow the Lord to forgive you, to wash you white as snow, and to empower you to live in righteousness? Will you receive that from a friend? God wants to call you back unto himself. And oftentimes he uses us as saints to come alongside a brother or sister and just say, whoa, I think you're kind of headed down the wrong path here. 
Come back. Return. Why? Because the Lord, He is God. And in this next scene, we enter into, all of a sudden, we're coming into a a time in verse uh, 20, and the question is, how long have you had this limp, dear people? Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver? How long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, and He is, follow Him. But if Baal is God, well, then go ahead and follow Him. It's, he's coming to the people. It's like Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's a charge. It's a command. Choose this day. Stop wavering. Stop limping between two possibilities. And as he says this, how long have you been limping between two opinions? How do the people respond? What do they say back to him as they're being challenged and convicted with their grievous sin and they're walking away from the Lord? Tell me, what do they say? Exactly. They say nothing. They say nothing. This is the people of God. And they say nothing when, when confronted with their life and the worship of Baal and they're leaving the Lord. I think they've gotten to such a dark place that they don't even realize they have a limp. They don't even realize they've gotten so far off track. I think they're so dark and blind to their sin. And God is using Elijah to bring them back. So many in our world are wanting to worship Baal and we're wanting to worship God as well. We just want both. Marilyn Monroe said this. She said, people should believe everything just a little bit. That makes everything go well. People should believe everything just a little bit. Well, that leads to a world that ends up just limping between two directions. I want to have what I want to have. The people of Israel are being forced to make an ultimate choice. This day, choose who you are going to serve. God is wanting to call his people back. They are hopping like a bird between branches. Well, maybe this branch is better. This branch is pretty good. And you've got this whole foundational oak that they could just stand firm upon. And they're hopping over to these little branches. God is wanting us to come back. And I think the question I want to ask you this morning, is the Holy Spirit asking you the same thing? How long are you going to limp between worshiping me and worshiping the things of this world? Are you going to continue to just have a little bit of me and a little bit of this and a little bit of that? You're breaking God's heart. How long are you going to waver? God is calling you back unto himself. Come and follow me. You cannot serve two masters. You must come and serve me and me alone. He is the Lord. Our God is the Lord and he is the Lord alone. There is no other. And he's a God full of grace 
as we're going to see in this final section, in the calling down of fire and the provision of rain. Look at this final scene, this great battle. Elijah uses an amazing apologetic. He starts out with this way in the apologetic. I will disprove Baal. I'm going to show that he's fake. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to call upon God and he will be revealed on who he is. So disprove and then prove. That's how he enters in. I think it's a good way for us to enter into to debate and conversations when people are wrestling with the Lord. Well, what are you following? You know, my dad used to always ask people when they'd say they were worshiping another religion, another God, he'd say, well, how's that working for you? I think that's a great question. How is that working for you? Is it working out? Is, is this God actually providing everything that that God said they would? Are you saved? Are you going to have eternal life? Do you have hope? Do you have joy? How's it working for you? Let's disprove that first and let me show you about the real God. That's a good apologetic in going in. A good way to talk about who the Lord is. So the challenge is set up, and I love what Elijah does. He sets it up for the Baal worshipers, the 450 prophets. I'm going to give you every advantage that you can have. You go ahead and you pick the bull first. And then what I'm going to allow you to do is I'm going to allow you to call. And what we're going to decide is that the, the God who brings down lightning who comes down and consumes the offering, then he's the God. Well, that sounds good to us. Why did it sound good to them? Because Baal was the God of lightning. Baal was the God of fertility. Baal was the one who would surely come down and devour this. It was all his strengths. He's like, yeah, okay, let's do it that way. I'm going to give you every advantage possible. There's 450 to 1. If you're a betting person, you would go, you know what, I think Elijah might lose this battle. But Elijah is living in such a way, full of courage and confidence, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I will come and I will present. And not only that, I will present who God is. I'm going to challenge your God, but I'm going to give you every opportunity to prove your God. And we should do the same with our friends. Yeah, I want to give you every opportunity to share with me why this is, this is good. And so then comes the ranting and the, the crying out, and the prophets go and they call upon Baal with passion and, and fervor, and they're calling and calling. For six hours they're calling upon him. And it becomes like this. Bueller, Bueller. Baylor, where are you? There's no answer. Six hours of calling out. And then Elijah begins to mock them. Hey, maybe Baal, maybe he went on a trip. He's been wanting to get away. You know what? Maybe Baal is, maybe he's sleeping. I'm sure that's probably what he's doing. Or, you know what? Maybe he just grabbed a newspaper and he's going to be in the bathroom a while. That's probably where he is. That's literally the context of this passage. And, and he's just mocking them. Where is he? Isn't he going to show up? You're going, man, you got 450 prophets over here, Elijah. You're pretty uh, confident here. You're not going to get killed. But he keeps mocking. Why does he do that? I think he does it because he knows from the Lord, Baal is not a god. 
He doesn't exist. And the people of God have been drawn into worshiping a non-existent God? Oh, dear people, why? Why? Why are you worshiping? Don't you see how foolish this is? You've been seeking after this idol, this God that offers nothing. And you're pursuing him. Even if Baal has 450 prophets who say, yeah, he's for real, 450 times zero, do you know what that equals? Zero. It's still nothing. It's nada. It doesn't exist. Even though you have passionate worshipers before him. And so six hours and they're cutting themselves. And what an amazing deal. You know, as a spectacle, I bet if you were watching from the outside, you'd go, whoa, what an incredible worship service this is. Wow. It's full of passion and fervor and people are crying out. This is amazing. But true worship, true worship is so much more than this religious experience. Are we worshiping the true God? Or are we worshiping an idol which can tend to be a religious feeling or this passionate experience? And all we long for really is the the, the feel. Trust me, God meets us in our emotion and in our feelings. But is that all we're worshiping? God says, I'm the true king. You worship me and me alone. Why are you wavering? Why are you limping between? What happens on Mount Carmel is the people, the Baal prophets were exposed, the curtain was pulled back, and all there was left was this mighty and great Oz, and behind the curtain was this little old man with a microphone. Nothing. Emptiness. And then it becomes Elijah's turn. I love what Phil Riken says. He says, Elijah's overriding motivation was to demonstrate the glory of God. And in order to do this, he needed to show that God has no rivals. There is no God but God. You see, Burger King's about to be cooked on that altar before the Lord. Elijah's going to call out to a God that never sleeps or slumbers, Psalm 121 says. The thing is, our God is alive. Our God actually hears our prayers when we're calling out to him. Our God actually responds to our prayers when we call out to him. God's will is actually done in our lives and through our lives when we cry out to him in prayer. And that's really what this battle is. It's a battle of prayer. Who are you entering in with? Who are you praying to? Zero or the real God? And so he calls upon the real God, the one that we can trust, our good shepherd, who walks with us through these trials and through this tribulation. And he walks through us with us, giving us encouragement when it's difficult and challenging. Our God answers. And then Elijah prepares, he calls upon the Lord, he prepares the people to repent and to come back unto himself. What a beautiful image of grace again. 
listen, bring with me. I'm going to come, I'm going to gather 12 stones. The 12 stones were to reflect upon the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you understand? The kingdom was divided. Elijah's trying to say on Mount Carmel, no, you were meant to be a people united. You were meant to be a people that were to glorify God's name. You were to do that together. That is broken. That's in shambles. That's where your spiritual life is now. That's why God has showed up to call you back unto himself. Is God calling you back unto himself? Receive his grace this morning. And Elijah sets it up and he digs a trench around the altar, rebuilds the altar, puts the bull on there. Now let's pour as much water as we can get. Let's pour it all over that bull because everybody knows you try to cook a wet bull, it's not going to happen. Why did he do so much to show and all this water? Why did he do all of that? Because here's the reality of life, friends. People doubt God and his existence and his miracles and his power. They doubt him all the time. Elijah wanted to do that and pouring of all that water and setting it up, giving them first opportunity. He wanted to show very clearly there is no way in heck this bull is going to light on fire unless God shows up in power. There's no way. The only way that this will happen is when God proves himself to be God. And so he's going to show up. Come to me, Elijah says. Let's go before the Lord. And the prayer is so beautiful. Six hours of crying out to a no God. One minute of crying out to the powerful I am, the only God. And the prayer is beautiful, right? You're the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's who you are. People hear this. This is the God we're praying to. We're building this altar unto the Lord. Yahweh, I am. That's what we're doing here. God, reveal yourself to these people through me as we do this together that you are known, that you are drawing the hearts of the people back unto yourself. God, do this work. Keep your promises. Provide your fire. Provide the rain so that the people will know who you are, that you are God. Elijah doesn't prove who God is. God proves who God is. And he shows up with a consuming fire. And he dries up all of the altar and he licks up the water, and the stones are burned up. And, and Elijah, in his prayers, he calls upon, God is glorified in this moment, and the people cannot help as they see who God is and all that he's doing in their lives and calling them back unto themselves. They go onto their faces, and they cry out, Our God, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That's a repentant heart. Will you come with a repentant heart before the Lord this morning? Say, God, forgive me. Draw me close again. That's who He is. And through the fire, He pierces the hearts of the people. It's like in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The fire came upon the apostles. Then Peter preaches out. And as he preaches the truth of God, what happens? 
3,000 people that day, the scriptures say, pierced to the core, pierced to the core, and they become followers of Jesus Christ. All through the work of God. You see, God's glorified. Here's the deal, dear saints. We are not the Savior. We're not the one, even with our great arguments, we are not the ones who are changing hearts. Only God can do that. And He does here. And He does with each of you. And any of you who would turn to Him and say, Lord, be my Savior, He will change your heart forever. Will you receive that invitation? And will you let the consuming fire come upon you? And will you cry out with the saints, the Lord, He is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. You are a God who shows up. You are a God who keeps your promises. You are a God who is faithful. And so, Father, this morning, as we come to the table of communion, this morning, dear Father, we come to you and we ask your forgiveness and we thank you because of your payment on the cross and your resurrection that you have forgiven us and that you have given us new life. And so we're reminded of that this morning as we have communion. So, Father, do your work in our hearts this morning. And we want to say thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sin. Thank you for rising from the dead. And thank you that we can have life in you. You are the Lord God. You are Yahweh. You are I Am. You are the only God there is. Amen and amen.